Well, find your places and have a seat and let's get ready. Listen, this is a great time of the year, right? It's finally warming up. The school year's over. For those of us who are parents, you know, you've been taking your kids to tons of activities, graduation, youth camp, and all that stuff's done. And what's in front of us now, for many of us, is we think about summer vacation. Amen? We get some time, and we're thinking summer vacation, you know, and so we're thinking about, at least I am, calm, quiet, tranquility, (laughs) peace, can I go on, rest, no agitation, no quarrels, no fighting, no stress. Laying somewhere in a hammock, you know, warm breezes flying across, fun, fellowship. Is that, does that sound good? Well, we're getting there. So the question really is, why can't we experience that all the time? You ever think of that? Why can't we just experience that kind of life all the time? And really... The main reason is, unless you just happen to be blessed with being independently wealthy, uh, most all the rest of us have to work all year long to earn the right to be able to have a chance to take time off and just, uh, just relax and have that level of relaxation. Can we ever really expect to experience that kind of life all the time? Well, like somebody already shared, eventually. Eventually, there's a time when we all get to live that way forever, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're going to see a little bit about that today. Not surprisingly, the Bible frequently does that. Um, God will take simple lessons of physical life, life as we understand it in our daily uh, culture and understanding, and, and he will take that and use that as an illustration of a spiritual principle that we want to learn. And what we see here, and we're in John chapter 16, so if you have your Bibles, that'd be the place to go. John chapter 16, the second half of that chapter, what, what we're going to see here today is that Jesus takes his disciples through a conversation that describes really this very thing. And, and what he's going to talk about is, is our title for the message today, and that's turning sorrow into joy. Turning sorrow into joy. And so if you Uh, are with me. John chapter 16. I'm going to read starting in verse number 16, and we're going to go through the end of the chapter. Just follow along as I read. John 16, 16. A little while, and you shall not see me. And again, a little while, and you shall see me, because I go to the Father. Then said some of his disciples among themselves, what is this that he saith unto us? A little while, and you shall not see me. And again, a little while, and you shall see me. And because I go unto the Father. They said, therefore, what is this that he saith a little while? We cannot tell what he saith. Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him and said unto them, Do you inquire among yourselves of that I said a little while and you shall not see me and again a little while and you shall see me? Verily, verily, I say unto you that you shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice and and you shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she's in travail, hath sorrow because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. 
And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs, but the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. And that day you shall ask in my name, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loveth you, because ye have loved me and have believed that I came out from God. I came forth from the Father and am come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said unto him, Lo, now speakest thou plainly and speakest no proverb. Now are we sure that thou knowest all things and needest not that any man should ask thee. By this we believe that thou camest forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone, because the Father's with me. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you should have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. You know, verse 33, that last verse we just read, man, that's an awesome promise of God. And that is a, that is a verse of Scripture. If, if you enjoy memorizing Scripture, man, that's a, that's a good one to memorize. When we think about the promise of God that, yes, in this world we'll have tribulation, but in Christ we can have peace, good cheer, those are kind of the things I was describing when I was talking about the vacation, just, just thoughts of cheer and peace. And those things are available to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. W- would you say that that would help me to, to learn those things? That would help me. Do, do you want to learn how we can understand those things in this passage? Are, are you ready? We'll do that. Let's just ask God to be our teacher and we'll jump in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this lesson that's before us, the things that you shared with your disciples in these last moments before your crucifixion, this intimate time that you had. And Lord, we consider it an intimate time that your Holy Spirit through the scriptures is gonna teach to our hearts and our minds and our lives what we need to understand so that while we're experiencing some trouble in this world, because the world has challenges, it has troubles, and, and we suffer at times, that we understand that we can have joy, we can have peace, we can have cheer, we can have comfort. And it all exists in you. And so, Lord, my prayer is that you would help us to experience that even now. Yes, ultimately, for sure, in heaven, but even now, and that you would give us the perspective that we need, that you would give us the understanding that, you, that we need, that you would help us to see the things that we need to see from your perspective so that, Lord, indeed, we can live that victorious Christian life. And just as you have overcome the world, we too can ultimately say that we have overcome it as well in you. And so, Lord, be our guide, be our teacher. We trust you with these things and thank you in advance in Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, the first thing that we're going to see, and this is an important truth in your being able to ultimately turn your sorrow into joy. And I don't mean to presume anything, but listen, if we're alive on this planet, we're going to have times of difficulty. And maybe you today are going through a difficulty. Maybe you're going through trouble. Maybe you're being, you, you have anguish. Maybe you have sorrow. Maybe you have trials in your heart and in your life that you would say, man, this is timely, this is for me, I would really encourage you to really pay attention. If you're saying, wow, things are actually going pretty good, I had some tough times before, but things are starting to line out, um, well, you know what, you probably should pay attention anyway because you'll probably go through tough times again sometime soon, and maybe you have friends who are going through tough times, and you can encourage them with that. And so the first important thing for us to see is that time is relative. Time is relative. 
And, and really, we're going to look at the verses from 16 down to 25. If you would just take your attention and look at verse number 25. In verse 25, Jesus says this. This is the end of this section. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs. In Proverbs. And, and so this whole idea of a proverb, what exactly is a proverb? I did a little study, you know, and, and just tried to look that thing up. And, you know, is a proverb a parable? Uh, What is a proverb? A proverb is not a parable. A proverb, literally, and if you just take the origin of the word, it's it's two words, pro, to put forth, and verb, right, a word. So to put forth a word is literally the breakdown of what a proverb, a proverb, is is really all about. He speaks in proverbs. So we would think of a proverb kind of like um, a, a maxim, an adage, we might say that it's a, it's, it's a short sentence that is often repeated over and over again. It becomes an expression that we refer to that carries some weight or some truth. It, it is some word that is put forth that immediately triggers in our mind some particular meaning. And, and the Proverbs, Jesus says, these things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs. I'm starting in verse 25. We're going to go back to verse 16 because he says these things referring back to what he just said. And what he just said, starting in verse 16, is what I believe is exactly what he's referring to as the proverb of the context, is this little phrase, a little while. It says it over and over again, several times in those first four verses, a little while, a little while, a little while, a little while, a little while. That would be the proverb. What could that possibly mean? And so in verse 16, he introduces this thing, and, and it is somewhat of a apparent contradiction. He says, a little while, and you shall not see me. And again, a little while, and you shall see me. Okay? A little while, and you shall not see me. A little while, and you shall see me. So there's no doubt, there's no question why the disciples were like, yeah, I don't get that. And they never really said it out loud. They were thinking to themselves, and they might have whispered to each other, what what exactly is that about? I don't get it. Jesus understood that, and he says, are you guys wanting to ask me what this little while thing is all about? And of course they were wanting to find out because they didn't really get it because it does seem kind of like an apparent contradiction. A little while and you won't see me. A little while and you will see me. Well, we understand that Jesus is in the very last moments, the last days before his crucifixion. And so a little while and you won't see me. Because I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be taken away from you. I'm going to be buried. (laughs) A little while, okay? And then he goes on. He says, a little while and you will see me. And you could think that that refers to the fact that after three days past his burial, he'll rise again at the resurrection. They'll see him again. That's true. And ultimately what we're going to see in the context is that really the last part, a little while and you shall see me, is going to ultimately refer to the time when he returns to set up his kingdom for a thousand years on this planet, okay? And, and we'll see that as we get into it. But the thing that I want you to understand in this apparent contradiction, listen, there are no contradictions in the Word of God, but God will put something forth. He will use a proverb. He will put forth a word in such a way that may seem like it's a contradiction to get your attention. If you're an honest student, you read that and you're like, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. We don't raise ourselves to the level to judge God or to judge His Word. We just say, hey, wait a minute, that's unusual, Let me try and understand what exactly he's talking about. And that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to get our attention. And really, when we understand that he uses the same exact phrase, a little while, okay, and I'm going to be gone because they're going to kill me. And a little while, potentially in a couple thousand years, 
I'll be with you again. The one thing we can conclude from that is that this little while is not the same as this little while. So I say time is relative. Time is relative. It, it is. It is just, it's relative. Either way, you, you educated crowd, Einstein was right. Time is relative. So I define it this way. A little while you could define as being just a few days. Just a few days, right? Because if you have it from a human perspective, right, from a human perspective, in a little while, tomorrow, the next day, I will be crucified. I will be gone. I will not be in your presence anymore. Just a few days. If you look at it from God's perspective, and a little while you shall see me, that's, by the way, we know now because it's been this long, and it's going to be a couple thousand years before he returns again. But 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 8 tells us that a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. So really, a little while in both cases, it's just a couple days. <laughs> it's just a couple days, no matter how you look at it, right? And so that's what he's saying. And, and depending on how you look at it, I mean, it really does show that he uses this phrase to get their attention. What he's doing is he's comparing some things that go on now with some things that are going to go on later. Okay, look with me at verses 20, 21, and 22. And if you just notice how it's written, if you notice the punctuation, if you notice that he puts these compound sentences together with that thing called a colon, the two dots in the middle of the sentence, each part of the sentence could stand independently as a sentence. He puts them together to contrast now with later. Verse 20, Verily, verily, I say unto you that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. There's the colon. Now the next part. And ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. Then, go back to the now, verse 21. A woman, when she's in travail, hath sorrow because her hour is come. There's the colon. But as soon as she's delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for her joy that a man is born into the world. Verse 22, we go back to the now. And ye now therefore have sorrow, there's the colon, but we're going to go into the later. I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. And so when you compare these things and you lay them out, you say, what's going on now in the world? Okay, what's going on now in the world, the, 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 the descriptive words that he uses here are weep, lament, sorrow, travail, anguish, and the thing that's going to come is joy. It's joy. And so what we have to understand when we get into this, and, and this, is, this is such a rich passage of Scripture that I have to give you the doctrinal teaching. I've got to give you the real core of what Jesus is communicating because this thing is so full. Doctrinally speaking, Jesus Christ is referring to Israel going through this time of a seven-year tribulation prior to his return and establishing his kingdom on earth. How do you know that? Well, I'm going to show you how we know because all these little phrases, and I have them in your notes, all these little phrases that we're going to look at that pop up in these verses are phrases that are used all through the Scripture to point to this time that's coming where there will be ultimate tribulation. Yes, we have some tribulation in our life today, and yes, we experience some joy in our life today for sure in Christ, but there is a time of ultimate tribulation that will plague this earth for seven years. There is a time of ultimate joy when Jesus returns at the end of all that tribulation. And so with that in mind, let's look at the doctrinal context and look at some of these phrases. A little while. That phrase, a little while, 
is used to refer to the second coming of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. I gave you a couple of references. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 37. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now, again, the book of Hebrews is written in that first century, immediately after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he's referring to his return the second time. And he says, just a little while, just a couple days, a couple thousand years, really, just a little while. Uh, If we look in Revelation chapter 22, not the specific word a little while, but the same exact thought. Revelation 22, end of the whole Bible, verse number 12. And behold, Jesus says, I come, what's the word? Quickly, (laughs) quickly. And my reward is with me to give every man according as his work, excuse me, as his work shall be. And so Jesus says, again, that's first century context, about 90 AD is about when John writes the revelation of Jesus Christ in that last chapter. So within the first hundred years there, he would have said, I'm coming quickly. And we know already it's been a couple thousand years. Interestingly enough, if you look in verses 16, 17, 18, 19, that phrase, a little while, happens to appear exactly seven times in four verses. Seven times. Those of you who keep track of numbers and stuff in the Bible, that'll mean something to you. Seven to- a little while, 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 seven times referring to seven specific years of tribulation. That comes from a prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. We don't have time to go there. Where Daniel prophesies of the end and he says that there will be 70 weeks And literally, the week is referring to a week of years. In other words, one week, according to Daniel's prophecy, refers to seven years. So there will be 70 weeks of years, or in other words, 490 years, from the declaration to go and rebuild Jerusalem until the coming of Messiah, the prince. And that 70 years is broken down into seven years plus 62 years. I mean, 70 weeks, excuse me, uh, 62 years. Seven weeks plus 62 weeks, get my math all messed up, which is 69, plus one week at the end. And so he's cut off at the end of 69 weeks. Jesus Christ is crucified at the end of 69 weeks. By the way, if you go back to the time of Artaxerxes and Nehemiah, the math works out perfectly that 483 years later, Jesus Christ is crucified on Calvary. That last one-week period, often referred to as Daniel's 70th week, the seven-year period of tribulation. Okay, that seven-year period is still yet future. Time has been put on hold until the time of the church is over. Many of you are tracking with me. Some of you are not. Just hang with me because these are some keys to understanding how to put your Bible together. Okay, all of that is said to basically lay out that this little while is ultimately referring to something much bigger. He goes on another phrase that he uses in verse number 20, weeping and lamenting. Uh, During the time of the tribulation, Israel will weep and lament. And it says that the world will rejoice. Uh, We're going to look in Revelation chapter 11 here. And it's funny, not only is the world going to rejoice, the Bible says in Revelation 11 and verse 10 that there's going to be two witnesses. And these two witnesses that are going to come in on the earth during the time of the tribulation, and there's discussion about who these guys might be. I personally believe that it's Moses and Elijah returning to be witnesses during the tribulation. You can argue about that if you want to, just not now. And um, that whoever they are, they're really cool because they can do all kind of miraculous stuff. And when people oppose them, it says fire goes out of their mouth to devour them. I mean, if, if, if God were taking volunteers, I'd volunteer. That'd be a cool job. But I think they're already taken. Anyways, eventually they're going to die. 
And in Revelation chapter 11 and verse number 10, it says that the people were so happy when these guys finally died. I mean, the evil world that doesn't want to hear the righteousness of God. That they start sending each other gifts. Hey, hey happy dead witness day, you know. <laughs> and that's what he's pointing to. One of the other phrases that he uses is a woman in travail. And a woman in travail has sorrow, verse number 21. If you have read through the prophet Jeremiah, you may understand why he's referred to as the weeping prophet. Uh, Jeremiah lived a life where he continually stood for God during a time of exile and when Israel would not, um, would not respond. They, would not, they were hard-hearted and they would not listen to God's counsel. And so there was virtually nobody caring what God had to say through the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah also wrote the little book that follows Jeremiah called Lamentations, okay? And it's all about this weeping and sorrow and lamenting that goes on. In the book of Jeremiah, for those of you that are interested, you might want to make a note, there is, interestingly enough, this little phrase. The phrase is, as a woman in travail. Do you want to just guess how many times the phrase, as a woman in travail, shows up in the weeping prophet who wrote Lamentations? Seven. Perfect. Awesome. Seven times. Boy, what a coincidence. As a woman in travail shows up seven times in the book of Jeremiah. The context every single time is Israel in the tribulation just before the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. First Thessalonians chapter number five, give you a New Testament reference that kind of goes along with it. First Thessalonians chapter five, the first three verses. But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, brethren of the church. This is a church in Thessalonica. Of the times and seasons, y'all, brethren, Christian people saved in Jesus Christ, you don't need that I write unto you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night, that day of the Lord, we'll see in a minute, is all about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It comes as a thief in the night, for when they shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, how? As travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. In case you get confused in this, just follow the personal pronouns. You, brethren, understand stuff. You, brethren, don't need to be caught off guard. You, brethren, know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. But when they, the people not saved, shall say peace and safety. In other words, there'll be a false peace in this world system that people will be deceived into thinking everything's going great. Then sudden destruction will come upon all of us? No, no. Sudden destruction will come upon them because you see the church is raptured out and they remain and then the tribulation starts. How is that compared? As a woman with child in travail. It's birth pains, and they will not escape. The, the next phrase is talking about a man is born into the world, a man-child. This idea of a man-child, if you have your Bibles, look in Revelation chapter 12. I'll read a couple of verses there. Again, the book of Revelation, especially in chapter number 12, uh, dealing with the context, direct doctrinal context is the tribulation. This, we're in the middle of this time as God's pouring out his judgment. And, and this is about, you know, different revelation of, of, of the Antichrist and, and the, the devil, the serpent, the dragon, uh, and all that sort of thing. But it tells this story, okay? Uh, revelation chapter 12, I'll start in verse 1. Uh, and there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon in her feet, and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. 
excuse me, verse 2, and she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pained to be delivered. Jump down to verse 5. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared of God that they should feed her there uh, a thousand two hundred and threescore days. Uh, exactly three and a half years, the last half of that great tribulation time. The woman is Israel, the man-child is the Lord Jesus Christ and ultimately plays into the unfolding of all of this scenario. It, I gave you a couple of other references in your notes. Those references are just a couple of many, many, many that I could have given you in the prophet Micah, in the book of Isaiah, chapter number 66. And in each case, the context directly is Israel in this time of tribulation, directly before the coming of the Messiah, their king, to set up that kingdom with Israel as the head of all nations. And it refers to these things about travail as a woman in birth. It refers to the coming forth of a man-child who will then save the day. And those are just some references for you. The last thing is in verse number 23. In verse number 23 of John 16, and in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Those of you who have taken the time to study with us in our discipleship course, and Ryan had announced our ministry tools and training class, that's a place where we offer this class on how to study the Bible. Many of you have been through that. You'll know that there are key words and have a direct doctrinal context for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it, has, it could be a little before with the tribulation leading up to the second coming, the actual event of Christ coming physically, or leading into that kingdom once he has arrived, that 1,000-year kingdom. The 1,000-year kingdom, the day, a day with the Lord is 1,000 years, 1,000 years is a day, the day of the Lord. It is that day. It is the day that stands above every other day. And when you see that day, you got to know that the context is pointing towards that great tribulation, the second coming, and that thousand-year day of the Lord. We saw in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, the day is a thousand, a thousand is a day. Verse number 10 in 2 Peter 3 says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, as we saw in 1 Thessalonians. In the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also in the works therein shall be burned up. This is ultimate judgment, the day of the Lord, okay? And so that's what we're seeing. This passage, this particular passage in John chapter 16 is so rich in key words and phrases to unlock the understanding of the Scripture, to give you the doctrinal context that there will be a coming, very difficult, pinnacle, ultimate tribulation experience. The end of which, because there will be an end, will lead into ultimate, never-ending joy. Cool, huh? That's pretty cool. But what does that really mean for me? I mean, most of y'all got to go back to work tomorrow. And you're like, yeah, I got the rapture ticket. I'm not going through that. How does that help me? Well, you need a practical application because the Scripture all has three applications. It has a historical application that they would have heard in that day historically accurate it has a doctrinal application which is typically prophetic and we saw that but it has to have an inspirational or a practical application for my life today because that's why the bible was written for me so for us the practical application would be our time in this life is relative and how we view it will determine how we live 
In other words, once again, we kind of have this comparative thing of now versus later. And we can apply that principle. Yes, the ultimate lesson of the end, but we can apply that principle in our life now. There will be sorrow, anguish, trouble, quarrels, cheating, and whatnot going on in our lives today. But understand that all of those things are just temporary. They just are going to go on in your life for a little while. Just a little while. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17. Notice, Paul says, for our light affliction. By the way, Paul, when he says light affliction, understand that he probably has gone through more affliction than all of us combined. I mean, the apostle Paul lived through some stuff, and he called it light affliction. Then he says, which is but for a moment, just, just, a, just an instant, I mean, it's just passing. It's just fleeting. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So yeah, we got we to gotta suck it up a little bit. We got to suffer a little bit. We got to buckle down. We got to say, uh, okay, but it's just for a moment. It's just fleeting. I mean, our life is like a vapor. Our, our lives are like grass and the wind blows and it's gone. And, and man, we're going to have eternity to have all of the things that the Bible promises us. And he's like, yeah, I don't care how bad it is, we can make it. You absolutely can make it. And, and, and it will eventually, for sure, be turned into joy if you've surrendered your heart and your life to the Lord Jesus. Can, can I say if you've not yet surrendered your heart and your life to the Lord Jesus, then the promised Joy is not promised to you. It's available, but it's not promised until you receive it, okay? Uh, But look in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. I love this great promise, great perspective. It says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So whatever it is we're going through, and listen, I'm not trying to soft sell what you go through. We all go through some stuff. And some of us, some of you, go through much more difficult times than some of, some of the rest of us. Life is not fair. If you haven't figured out that life is not fair, please understand it is not fair. It is absolutely not fair. God will make it all level eventually. But life now is definitely not fair. Some people suffer tremendously. And other people just don't. Okay? For whatever reason. But he says, no matter what it is, that the sufferings that you go through now, if you were to try and compare them with the glory that is yours in eternity, they're not even worthy to be compared. It's it's ridiculous to even bother to put them up against each other. It'd be like one grain of sand versus all of the sand of all the oceans. It's ridiculous to even think about comparing them not even worthy and it's this little proverb a little while that reminds us of that and 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 maybe as you think about that through the week this week whatever it is you're going through just tell yourself let the holy spirit remind you that's just a little while you're like yeah but it's gone on for a whole year yeah a couple days a couple of days jesus will be here I mean, just no time, before you know it. 
And, and that's what's going to happen. And so our daily challenges and trials and difficulties and tribulations and anguish and travail and suffering and sorrow, they're all just temporary. They're just temporary, man. And there's going to be a joy unspeakable that lasts forever, that'll fill our souls such to the point similar to a woman who gives birth and it's very real pain, but the joy of the child. And they're like, yeah, I don't even think about the pain anymore. I'm so excited about this baby. It's going to be like that, only multiplied more. And that's how our life is. That's what's guaranteed to us. You know what that tells me? No matter how bad it gets today, I can hang in there. I can hang in there. I don't have to quit. I don't have to run. I don't have to go and complain up one side and down the other. I can hang in there. God is going to give me strength. I see the end game, and it's worth it. So that's important. That time is relative. You've got to get that down if you're going to live according to joy. The second thing and the last thing that we'll see is that understanding breeds faith. Understanding breeds faith. And we're going to start in verse number 26 and come down through verse number 30. So, and we're just going to kind of walk through this. Listen, verse 25, Jesus spoke in Proverbs, but it says that he's going to come and he's going to start speaking plainly. He says at the last part of verse 25, uh, time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. And then he goes down through all these verses, and in verse 30 they said, wow, now we get it. Now you're speaking plainly in verse 30, right? And so let's look at these verses together, okay? Let's just look at them. Verse 26, at that day... You shall not ask in my name, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. Would you just keep your finger there in John 16 and go back to John 14? Go back to John 14 and verse 16. John 14, 16, Jesus says to the same group of guys, right, just a little while before, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Okay? Okay? So at that time, he's like, hey, you know, just let me know, and I'll pray the Father, and he'll take care of it. Um, Here, he's like, uh, at that day, of course, we understand what that day means doctrinally, but nevertheless, he's like, hey, there's there's coming a time, he's like, hey, don't, there'll be no need for you to ask me, and then I ask the Father. There's no need for that, because you won't need for me to intercede for you anymore, Because at that day, understanding the doctrinal context now of that day, that's why we did that study, you'll be glorified. And and, and when you're glorified, you get, by the way, y'all who are young, you don't appreciate this near as much as old folks do. You get a new body that don't hurt no more, and you don't need glass, everything works. And you're just, I mean, happy, and you can eat like crazy and not get fat. I mean, it's just the greatest thing in the world. I mean, you know, you get a glorified body, no sin, zero, no devil, no fighting. I mean, it's just, you're, let's get biblical for a second, like Jesus, a glorified son of God. You know what you don't need? Glorified, perfect, sinless son of God, an intercessor for the Father. That's what you don't need. That's important to know that. It's important to know that. Verse 27, because it rolls right into the next verse, of course. For, as a result, for the Father himself loveth you because you've loved me and have believed that I've come out from God. In other words, you don't need me to intercede for you at that day. Why? Because you've got your own relationship with the Father. You go right to the Father. You're, You're a son of God. I'm son of God. Okay. 
You go right to the Father yourself. Verse number 28, I came forth from the Father and have come unto the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. So in verse number 28, he just kind of, he explains his journey. My time with you here on the, and he said it several times over and over again in the history of this gospel, but they never really got it. And once again, he says to him, look, the time that I'm here with you, y'all, you understand, I came from the Father. I'm here with you for a while. I'm going to die, and I'm going to return to the Father. So he kind of, in explaining his existence and his journey and his purpose here on earth, what he does is, is he really reinforces his identity, that he is more than just a man. He reinforces the fact that he truly is God the Son. And as a result, in verse 29, his disciples get it. They say, they say unto him, Lo, now speakest thou plainly, and speakest no proverb. It's almost like I could hear him saying, Finally. Now I get it, <laughs> you know. And, and he just, you know, pulls back the curtains and he says, this is what it's all about, guys. And they're like, I'm with you. I, I'm tracking. And so then in verse number 30, and, and this is really why I landed with this whole idea of understanding, breeding faith, because in verse 30, they say this. Now are we sure that thou knowest all things and needest not that any man should ask thee. By this we believe that thou camest forth from God. Now we're sure we understand. By this understanding, we believe. Understanding breeds faith. Listen, y'all. Some people are more given to book study than other people. I get it. Uh, some people just enjoy digging and reading and cross-referencing and studying, and that's a cool thing. Uh, some people, not so much, and that's fine. But however you receive information, certainly about God, can, can I encourage you really? Don't forsake that, man. Don't just say, well, I'm just kind of a people person. I'm not really a bookworm, so I'm not really into that study thing. Because you need to understand some things in order to really have faith. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 11, verse 6, it says that without faith, it's impossible for us to please God. We have to have faith, and, and we really have a hard time having faith if we're not really sure of what's going on. The only way we can be sure of anything is that God has revealed it to us, and he's revealed it to us in his word, and he, through his spirit, guides us into all truth. We saw that last week, and, and so he gives us this understanding of his will, and we heard this morning about young people surrendering their lives to Jesus. Why? Because during this week of camp, they finally understood who they are and who God is and what's missing. So they put their faith and trust in Jesus. It comes as a result of understanding things right. And they believe in his deity. They understand who he is. They know who he is. So what about you? Do you understand all that Jesus Christ has done for you? Now, all. Do you understand much of what Jesus Christ has done for you? Do you understand the big points? Do you understand the things that are very clearly revealed in the Scriptures? Listen, understanding is critically important. If you want to experience peace and joy in your life, even now, Romans 5.8 tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved you so much, friends, that even as, a, as an ungodly, sinful enemy of God, 
He still laid down his life for you. He loved you that much. Do you understand that? Do you understand who mankind is as a sinful creation and who God is and his love poured out that he sent Jesus to be the only possible way that you could have eternal life? Do you, do you understand that as a, res, as a response to your answer of faith, when you respond to God in faith and receive him as your Savior, do you understand, like we saw in the last three chapters, that he gives to you his Holy Spirit, who is also the third person of the Trinity, he is very God, to live inside of your human body? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 makes that very clear. The Holy Spirit lives inside of each and every one of us that have received Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. Do you, understand, you have to understand that fact, that that's truly taken place in your life. Do you understand that as a result of all that, you have direct access to the Father. You don't need anybody to intercede for you. You don't need to go through somebody else's prayer channels. You don't need a priest. You don't need an intercessor. You can go directly to the throne of God. You have your own relationship with God the Father. Do you understand that this is the life that is lived by faith, but it's not just your faith. Do you understand that your life ultimately is lived, I don't know if everybody gets this, by the faith of Jesus Christ working in and through your faith. Look with me in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Galatians 2.20 is a verse that many people grew up reciting and knowing. This is a great verse of Scripture. Let me just remind you of it. Galatians 2.20, look at the words. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by my faith. No. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm crucified with Christ. I've, I've responded in faith to his act of dying on the cross for me. And now it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ through his Holy Spirit that lives in and through me so that the life that I live now as a born-again Christian, it's really not my life, it's his life, which means that it's lived by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't know about you, that's liberating to me. I don't have to try and work up some faith of my own. I just surrender to the faith of Christ. And he works through me. And it may look like I'm believing stuff, but really he's doing it. And it's smooth. It just works. That's how he put it together. It's important that you understand that. So that when all the troubles of daily life happen and people are coming at you and bad things are happening, you can understand some things and you can, you can truly say in your heart, okay, I don't like it, but it's just a little while. It's just a little while. I mean, what's my life all about? Really, it frustrates me that Christian people who would say they know these doctrinal truths continue to make daily decisions as though all that life is is from birth to age 70 or 80 or 90 or whatever God gives you. Man, our life is eternal, y'all. And eternity's a long time, last time I checked. And 100 years worth down here, it's you know, nothing, just a vapor, it's gone. 
And so, you know, we do our best and, and we try to respond biblically and we try to live to please the Lord and influence other people. But at the end of the day, however bad it gets, it's not even worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed in you. So time is relative. And understanding breeds faith. And the last thing I just want you to see is that faith is necessary to overcome. Faith is necessary if we're going to overcome. So they, they have this declaration of faith, okay, in verse number 30. And Jesus answers. Uh, track this with me. He says, do you now believe? Now, you can read that any way you want to, but I, I really think that in the context of what's going on here that he's, he's challenging them just a little. They're saying, we believe. Now, we're, we're, listen, we're all a little hasty to want to say the right things. I mean, I've been guilty of that. And Jesus is like, really? Okay. If so, buckle up. <laughs> because it's going to get worse before it gets better. That's what he's saying. It's going to get worse before it gets better, right? Because he launches into verse 32. Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone, and yet I'm not alone because the Father's with me. And all that stuff played out within the next couple of days. They take Jesus away and the disciples scatter. And so he's like, hey, that's the way it's going to be. And you need to understand something. Understanding Bible prophecy, understanding the last days in which we live, the last days of the church age, which I believe we're in. The Bible characterizes these last days of the time of the church with great apostasy, lack of faithfulness, a falling away from a previously strong standing position of faith, apostasy, okay? And, and, and it characterizes this time with this time of apostasy meaning that there's going to be a lot of people who name the name of Jesus who compromise. Uh, there's going to be a lot of people who just tolerate a lot of unrighteousness and don't seem to take a stand against that sort of thing. There's going to be a, a tendency towards a lack of faithfulness. And if you are going to be a faithful man, if you are going to be a faithful woman in today's day and time in which we live where the widespread temperature of Christianity seems to be very lukewarm and very apostate, what you will find is frequently you'll stand alone just like Jesus did. You'll find your friends potentially, hope not, might scatter. And if you're going to stand, you might have to stand alone. Are you willing to do that? But by the way, you're never alone, right? God's with you just like Jesus. God's with you, Right? And so, with that in mind, it reminds you of a couple of cool places in the book of Romans I wanted to remind you of. In Romans chapter 3 and verse number 4, I love this. It just basically says, let God be true and every man a liar. Amen? Have you ever feel that way sometimes? You're like, man, I know God said this and this is right and it just seems like nobody gets it. Nobody agrees. Everybody's fighting me. Okay. So, let God be true and every man a liar. It's not majority rules when God's playing. Right? He's right no matter what right? I don't care if there's more of us that say, God, you're wrong. It doesn't matter. He's right. So stand with him and you win. That's just that simple. Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? 
If God be for us, who can be against us? Hey, one plus God is the majority, right? So that's the deal. And listen, you've got to have this attitude if you're going to make it in this world. I mean, you just got to. Otherwise, you're going to get overwhelmed. And if you get overwhelmed trying to live Christianity in your own strength, you're just going to get frustrated. You're going to get overwhelmed, and you're going to quit. You're going to check out. You're going to, you know, just be done. You're going to be like, okay, whatever. I might show up with Christians. I might not even show up anymore. I'm just sick of it. I can't take it anymore. I'm beat down. That's because you didn't allow this process to work in you so that you could go on. Listen, look in verse 33. Then again, verse 33 is, is the crown. I love it. These things I've spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In me you might have peace. But please notice that Jesus doesn't say, in me you might have wealth. In me you might have prosperity. In me you might have comfort. You might, but that's not what he says. In me, you might have peace. By the way, did you notice that he said, in me, you might have peace? Meaning it's available to you, but it's only put into action when you believe it, right? You have to act. You have to trust. You have to behave in such a way that shows that you believe it, and if you believe it, then indeed it will work. He says, in me, you might have peace, so that the peace exists, friends, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The peace does not exist in your personal wealth portfolio. The peace does not exist in your uh, circle of friends, and you might have great wealth, and you might have great friends. The peace exists only in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where it exists, and so if you abide there, then you will experience that peace as well. In the world, you have tribulation, but he says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And if you are in Christ and he has overcome the world, you can also overcome the pressures of this world. 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 4. Notice this. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you, finish it with me, than he that is in the world. Amen? Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Why in the world would anybody want to say, I can't take it anymore, I quit? Wow. I mean, you got Jesus in you, man. There's no no losing, okay? It's done. And he has overcome and you can overcome. 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world. What? Even our faith. So when we walk by faith in Christ, with Him, obeying His principles, understanding what He said, and putting these things into practice, then our life is the life of of an overcomer. Yes, ultimately we overcome. Yes, we have our ticket for for heaven. If you're saved, you're eternally secure. Yes, you will go even if you live a scared, tremoring lifestyle all the way there. You will ultimately make it, but you can live this life today as an overcomer. I'm going to finish with a reference to a passage of Scripture that's two whole chapters. We're not going to get into it deep. I just want to refer your mind to Revelation chapter 2. In Revelation chapter 3, please look there with me. Because in Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3, what we have are seven 
short letters that ultimately are, are given by Jesus Christ through the Apostle John to be sent to seven different churches in Asia Minor. And, and for many of us who uh, enjoy studying these things, we've come to the conclusion, and I, and I believe it's absolutely defend, defensible in the Scripture and it's right, that these seven churches represent seven periods of time throughout church history from the time of Jesus and the Apostles until the rapture of the church. And, and you can trace history and see the characteristics of each church in order lining out with the characteristics of life in history and how God was unfolding those things throughout time. It's a really cool study. All I'm trying to point out today with this idea is at the end of each letter, Jesus Christ addresses each church. And in each church, he says typically something positive and something not so positive. So there's, there's something good and there's something bad about each church. Now, in the last church of Laodicea, there's actually nothing good. It's just all bad, okay? And that represents the time frame in which we live today. But in each case, he kind of gives the characteristics of the church. We're not going to read through all that. All I want to say is this. Whatever the characteristics of the church were, as described in the letter that Jesus wrote to that church, as it describes all of church history, at the end of each time, at the end of each of the seven churches... There is a statement that Jesus makes that goes something like this. And to him that overcometh will I grant some really cool reward. Okay? And each church has a very specific reward that I believe then is applicable to the people who are qualified as overcomers of that period of church history. Are we together so far? We're okay? We're wrapping it up, but this is really good. Okay, so we got to get this. Now, so we're going to just look at the seven different rewards for the seven different churches of church history. Okay? And, and really quickly, chapter number two, the first church, verse number seven. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit, the church in Ephesus, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. We're not commenting on all of these things. It would take far too long. Let me just say this. The tree of life takes you all the way back to Genesis. Um, it's going to reappear again in the future. The people here, their overcoming reward will be eat of the tree of life, in the midst of the paradise of God. That's got to be cool, right? That's got to be a pretty cool thing. <laughs> all right, we're going to go to the next one. Verse number 11. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. And that second church period deals with a lot of terrible bloodshed among real Christian believers in the early church period. A lot of martyrs, Fox's Book of Martyrs. I mean, terrible things that happened. And maybe the greatest reward of all for people of that time would be no more pain. No hurting anymore. It's done. So that's got to be just an awesome Reward for those people. We'll go down to the next one, verse 17. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saying he that receiveth it. Okay, there's some really cool Bible study about the manna, and some Bible study about the stone. Let me just say to those of us who read it quickly, we think, great. That's got to be awesome stone. I bet it would look cool. I'm sure it has more meaning than that. A little vague. Okay, whatever it is. Next one, verse 26. He that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power 
over the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter shall be broken into shivers even I received of my father. So this idea of ruling over the nations, a level of reward and responsibility in his ultimate kingdom and that's a cool reward as a result of being an overcomer. We're going to go into chapter number three. We're going to look in verse number five. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. I will not blot out his name out of the book of life but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. So there is a reassurance of eternal security. There's nothing that will take your name out of the book of life, and I will give you new clothes, the idea being the white raiment, the righteousness of the saints. And there's, listen, there's a lot of cool stuff behind all this stuff. I know I was kind of making a joke about the white stone thing, but it's all good. Verse number 12, church in Philadelphia. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall go no more out and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God which is New Jerusalem which cometh out of heaven from my God and I will write upon him my new name. And so Philadelphia is the church by the way that has only good things and no bad things. Laodicea, the next one, has only bad things, no good things. Philadelphia, the time period, you know, coming after the, um, the Reformation and up till about 1900-ish, uh, great missions, people believe in the Bible, revivals worldwide. I mean, it was a great time to live where people were getting saved like crazy. An amazing, amazing time. And their reward is, you guys are going to be the pillars of the temple. Wow. And then Laodicea is the one that represents us. And you read about Laodicea. It's not good. We think we're all that. And God says, yeah, not so much. And it ends up in verse 21, Laodicea. To him that overcometh, which by the way, you can overcome in Laodicea. Will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father, in his throne. You know, I, I don't want to be presumptuous. I do not want to be irreverent. But if I was just picking which reward, if I got to pick one out of that list of seven, I'm picking Laodicea. I, if I was just picking when I could have lived, I'd lived in Philadelphia. But if you live in Philadelphia and everybody, I mean, God's just working and people getting saved everywhere, that'd have been fun. But the difficulty level of becoming an overcomer would be smaller. <laughs> you live in Laodicea when nobody cares anymore. The difficulty in being an overcomer is greater. It's greater. Because you're not just fighting the world anymore. Half the time, more than half the time, you're fighting the Christians, man. You live by faith and you become an overcomer in Laodicea and in the kingdom when the great pillars of faith literally from that missionary movement time of history become the pillars of the temple, not physically, but they stand as, you literally walk past them and are like, man, good job, guys. I'm going to go sit down. And you go sit on the throne with Jesus, you know. <laughs> Listen, I, today was Bible study day, okay? I get it. And maybe you couldn't track with every bit of it, and a lot of you can, I know. But you know what? Understanding breeds faith, y'all. 
And the more you can understand about what the Bible says and what it has for you, the less you care about the little squabbles that go on. The less you care, man. Let it go and live for Christ. That's what it's all about. You can overcome now. And in me, you can have peace. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Psalm 30, I left with you that. We're wrapping up with this. For his anger endureth but a moment. In his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Listen, can I just encourage you? Be smart. Plan ahead. If you're you're smart in this life, you'll plan ahead for retirement, savings, and all that. That's smart. Eternally speaking, are you planning ahead? First off, do you have your ticket? (laughs) Are you saved? Do you know Jesus? But for many of you that would say, yeah, yeah, for sure. I I know I'm saved. Are you overcoming? Are you allowing the circumstances to so beat you down that you're just not effective anymore? Today, I believe the Lord is trying to scream at us all, man, you can do it. Don't quit. Hang in there. Jump back in. Today is as good a day as any, man. Just come on back home and let's do this together and have fun doing it. I just I want to be an overcomer in Laodicea, not just for the selfish reward thing. That's true too. I just want to tick off the devil. That's just what I want to do. And I say let's do it together. Let's pray together. Let me ask you a question. Everybody shut your eyes and bow your head. Listen, we just want to just ask you a question. We're going to pray. Do, uh, would, would you say honestly, nobody's looking around. I just want to ask you something. Would you honestly say today, I'm hurting. Life's been rough, man. It's just been beating me up and I'm tired of it. I, I've been through some sorrow. I've been through some hardship. I've been through some pain. I've been through some trials. It's just been hard on me. And I'd just appreciate it if you pray for me. Nobody's looking around, but I'll, I'll pray for you. If you just honestly raise your hand and say, I've been hurting, man. I've been hurting. Y'all, it, don't look around, but if you did look around, you'd see hands all over this house. God bless you. Amen. You, you know, w- would you say that in the midst of all your trials that you, you really do experience the peace of God? Maybe you do, and maybe you don't. And if you don't, maybe today's the day you say, you know what, similar to, we talked about youth camp, white flag, a flag of surrender. Maybe it's your time just to surrender. And maybe you're here and you're like, you know what, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm saved. I, I just, I'm just not sure. I've been in church, but I don't know if I die to have a home in heaven. I, I want to be. I want to pray for you too. If you, if you just honestly say, I'm not sure I'm saved, please just pray for me. Would you just raise your hand just so I can know? Is there anybody like that? Amen. I see somebody upstairs and downstairs and over here with the kids too. God bless you guys. Thanks. You can put your hands down. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord.